I'm Pastor Ron, one of the pastors here, and we are going to continue to dig into Psalms today. So grab your Bibles, open them up to Psalm 120. We're going to do a couple of Psalms today and talk about a different class of Psalms, a whole section of Psalms. So I'm excited about this. Um, this class of songs is near and dear my heart. As, as I love worship in the church, both in song and in the word and in prayer, and I'm convinced that we need to take worship seriously, and, and that perhaps we don't take it seriously enough. But I want to start with a different question. What did you do to get ready to come today? Woke up. That's a plus. Most of you did that. Um, what else? What did you do to get ready to come today? Exercise, okay, get your day going. Shower, Shower. Amen. amen. And and hopefully brush teeth. Why is there no one that brushed their teeth? No, no. <laughs> yeah, so we do things to, to get ready. Look in the mirror, comb the hair, brush the hair, and, and we do things to get ready to come because we know we're coming to the body of saints. We know we're we're coming to the assembly. But where I want to go this morning and where the Psalms we're going to study go this morning is, what do we do to prepare our hearts to come? How ready are we to worship as soon as we walk in those doors or as soon as we hit the parking lot? Are we ready to worship through song, through the word, through prayer, through ministry to each other? Are we prepared to do that? And my, my hope as we, as we just hit a couple of the songs of Ascent, is that we start to realize that this is an important part of our Christian walk, is to be ready when we come on Sunday morning, to be ready to see God work, to be excited about what God is doing, and not just come and sit and hope that we put on a good enough show to energize you this morning. Because that's not what it's about. And that's not what coming together as a church is about. So we want to take this seriously. So we want to go through Psalm 120 and 121 today. We're going to hit two psalms, and we're going to get through them, and we're going to still be done by 11, so don't, don't worry, those of you that um, know me. <laughs> um, but I wanted to start by explaining this, this category of psalms. These are the psalms of a sense, they call them, and it's 15 psalms from Psalm 120 to 134. If you look in your Bible, and if you don't have a Bible, there's a black one under a chair around you that we'd love for you to have. If you look at the heading of these 15 psalms, they all say psalms of ascent. Now, when you think of ascent, I want to explain these a little bit. When you think of ascent, think going up. And, and some translations, in fact, the, the Hebrew word could also mean psalms of steps. And so the idea is I'm going up somewhere. I'm going up to do something. And, and I want to understand the history of these because context matters and historical context matters as we study God's word. And so what would happen at, at least three times a year, but there were three major feasts or festivals a year that God instructed his people to go up to Jerusalem and to the temple for. And they were to go up and to worship God at the temple. And so three times a year, they were to take this pilgrimage. In practice, often families maybe only did one of them a year, but they, they were to try three times a year to come to Jerusalem from anywhere in the land where they were. And so they were going to worship, to gather together with God's people. And this was a, a special time 
of honoring God, of worshiping God, of praising him, of being thankful for what he has done, recognizing the Passover. These were very important times. Now understand, as they went, you get a little bit of geography lesson this morning, okay? Um, in, in, um, in Israel, to the east, you have the Rift Valley, which is all Dead Sea, Jordan River, below sea level, okay? So this is one of the lowest points. To the west, you have the Mediterranean Sea, which happens to be at sea level. Think about it. Um, <laughs> and, and so, but in between, you have a mountain range, anywhere from two to four, 5,000 feet, depending on the mountain range. And, and in the north, it actually goes up to 10,000 feet. Jerusalem is set up in the mountains, okay? So no matter where you were in the land, you ascended to Jerusalem. You went up to Jerusalem. So that makes sense? When I say I'm going to go up to San Francisco, we think north, right? I never say I'm going to go up to San Diego. No, you go down to San Diego. So we think north and south. Don't think that way when it comes to Israel and geography. Think actually elevation. And so when they were coming to Jerusalem, they were going up to the mountains, up to the hills. And that's going to come up especially um, in, uh, in one of the Psalms coming up. We're going to see that in Psalm 22. But I have some pictures here. This is an overhead picture looking down that, that sea that you see up in the upper right corner. That's the Dead Sea. This is looking down at Jericho down in the, the flatlands. And you can see at the bottom that you start to come up the mountains. Now, this isn't a real good view because it's overhead and, and Jerusalem is up in the mountains. But if you go to the next picture, from Jericho, you might start to see this. And if you're going to one of these feasts, one of these pilgrimages, you'd be looking at, at coming up possibly, there's several ways to get there, but possibly coming up the main road through the, the Jordan Valley and then going up this. Now, now this was a treacherous area. This was a difficult area. If you look here, this is one of the roads, the current roads there, that you could go from Jordan, to, or from Jericho rather, up to Jerusalem. And so when we sing, when we talk about Psalms of Ascents, these were the psalms, the songs that they sang as they were going up these hills. From, from all indication is as they were coming to the temple, as they were coming to worship, they started singing songs. And there's 15 of them that we have recorded that they started singing. Now, now keep in mind, this is before the worship service. This is before they get to the temple. So what is God having them do? God is having them prepare their hearts to worship. And God is having them prepare their hearts before they get there so they are ready to worship when they get there. That is how important worship is to our Lord and Savior. To lift his name high. To come as we come together ready to give glory to him. Not to self, not to worry about cares of this world, but ready to focus on him. So no less than 10% of the songbook inspired by the Holy Spirit are songs that were used to prepare for worship. So I ask the question again, what did we do this morning to get ready to come? Because God in his word took time to prescribe getting our hearts ready, getting our attitudes ready. The, the word for a sense I mentioned can mean steps and in later Jewish tradition, this is really interesting, in later Jewish tradition, they would sing these songs as they went from court to court in the temple. If we go to the next picture, this is a, a replica of the temple. 
and you see those steps at the bottom, and they were going from the outer court to the inner court, um, and, and inside is the Holy of Holies, but if you look at those steps, there happen to be 15 steps. And tradition is that the rabbis or, or the, the priests there, as they were coming into the presence of God, not only are the people on their way up uh, on this journey up the mountains singing these songs, they would sing a song on each step. And they would, they would be on one step and sing Psalm 120. And they'd go to the next step and sing Psalm 121. Isn't that cool? And they'd go to the next step and sing Psalm 122. And so this became a, a songbook of preparation. For those that have gone to Israel with us, now, now the temple's no longer there, uh, and that's the Dome of the Rock and Temple Mount and all kinds of issues with doing much with Scripture there. We actually go to the southern steps of the Temple Mount, and we do the same thing. And we, we, now we don't know the tunes that went with them, so we read Psalm 120 and then go to the next step because we're preparing ourselves to come and worship and preparing our hearts to be changed by God. And as we do this, we begin to reorient our minds to what worship is. It is so easy to make worship about me and so easy to make worship about my preferences and what I like, especially with music, but that can apply to every aspect of the service. Well, you know, Pastor Ron went a little bit long today. I didn't like that. I wasn't able to worship. That means we weren't prepared for worship. Not that I, I should go along. But it, it's an issue of our hearts. Are we ready to worship? You know, I, I didn't really like that song, or I, I didn't really like the order of service today, or how dare they pray for Awana today. No, it's, it, don't say that. And we can come to these things because we're filtering them through me and what I think, rather than preparing our hearts to say, everything we do is to give glory to God. Everything we do when we come together is to let God change our hearts and orient us to God. And so that's what, how we come to the Psalms of Ascent this morning. We're just going to look at 120 and 121. This week, I encourage you to read all 15 and, and see what God said. Now, some of them, you're like, how does that prepare us? But it's changing our mindset. And so that's the question you need to ask on every one of these 15 Psalms. Why did God have this? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire this to be a preparatory song for worship? And we're going to look at two of them this morning and hopefully sort of get, get used to, okay, what is God trying to do? How is he trying to form us through his word? How do these help us prepare for worship? And really, we're going to look at, at, at two different aspects. Psalm 120 is going to deal with putting aside the distractions of this world, putting aside the frustrations, the, the struggles of this world as we come to worship. And Psalm 121 is going to be about putting aside self-reliance and putting aside self-sufficiency and coming to God with an open heart where he can change us. So let's start with Psalm 120. And again, if you haven't turned there, please turn there as we're going to read through the verses of the, these psalms and we're going to, to see some real practical things this morning of how we can prepare ourselves. And as we go through the text this morning, I want us to be really practical of, okay, how could I take this principle and do that on Sunday morning? How could I take this principle and do that on Saturday night? And at the end, I'll go through just some examples of the rhythms of our family, and we don't do this perfectly, and, and some weeks are so crazy we don't, we don't do all of it. 
but just to try to say, together as a family, can we get into a rhythm of being prepared for worship and having a heart for worship before we get here? And so our first steps this morning, like I said, are how do we overcome the distractions of this world and how do we counter our self-reliance? I love uh, uh, the theme of Wildwood, and, and those that have gone recently, I don't know if they still talk about this, but it used to be that the theme was to crush the world's influence and replace it with Jesus Christ. Is that still, still a thing, those that went to Wildwood? That was the theme of Wild, Wildwood. But I love that, crushing the world's influence, replacing it with Jesus Christ. And that's really where we come to um, these two chapters, and especially the first one. As we read through Psalm 120, the point of this is to intentionally crush the distractions and distresses of this world before you come. Before you show up, give God what is bothering you from the world, the weight of this world. Are, are, are there enough troubles to think about during the week? Is there enough weight to think about? Now, we can bring it in, and, and quite honestly, if you're not able to do this before you come, come anyway, and we'll help you as a family. And, and that's part of coming together as, as an assembly. That's the community aspect of worship. But if we can intentionally crush those distractions, intentionally get rid of those and the distresses of this world before we come. So let's read through this psalm and see how the psalmist does this and, some, and glean from the, the example of the psalmist. Verse 1. Verse 1. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals from the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, and that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And we see the very first psalm of preparing for worship is struggling with the angst of this world, is struggling with that Monday through Saturday, we are in this fallen world, shoulder to shoulder, we're dealing with it. So how do we come Sunday morning and let that go? And that's what the psalmist here is doing and attempting to do. In verse 1, he starts with coming back to the faithfulness of God. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. So the first thing that I would mention there is remember times that God has been faithful in trials. This is part of preparing. Remember on Sunday morning, remember times God has been faithful in trials. On Saturday night, start to say it, start to rehearse it, write it down, but intentionally remember times that God has been faithful. And that's one of the keys to starting to set aside the world for Sunday morning and come to worship with a focus on God. A couple things out of that verse. The word for distress there is extreme sorrow, anxiety, or pain. It was used of a ship that was going down. And, and so if we think, oh, yeah, the psalmist doesn't understand, he's talking about a ship that's going under, that, that people are going to drown. This is done. And he says, in that kind of distress, I called to the Lord. Notice the tense there. That's past tense, right? He's rehearsing something that has happened before, that he was able to call to the Lord, call to Yahweh, and he answered me. 
And so the psalmist here, as he begins, this is the very first verse, as they're going up those mountains, as they're coming to Jerusalem, in my distress I called on the Lord. And they start rehearsing, what has God done? How has he been faithful? It's why I loved hearing testimonies yesterday in the elder meeting. What has God done? And it's exciting to hear how he's working and what he's doing. This is part of trusting God. This is part of setting aside the world's influence is focusing on something bigger, focusing on someone bigger, someone greater. And so the psalmist recalls that the Lord's delivered, that he's been faithful. He said he answers prayer. And there are times that we, we question, does God answer prayer? And the psalmist, right from the start, is saying God answers prayer. And he's rehearsing this. Interestingly enough, some of the, the same wording is used by Jacob in Genesis 35. Where he says, in my distress I called on the Lord and he answered me. David said, King David said this in 2 Samuel 22. Jonah prayed this in Jonah 2 from, from inside a large fish. And they're all rehearsing that God is someone we can call on in distress. And he is faithful to answer. Doing this is, is something that begins to encourage us. But, but not just encourage us generally. And it, and it does do that. When we think of God's deliverance, it gives us hope. It gives us an ability to go on the day for the day. But when we start to rehearse answered prayer, what does that do for our prayer life? Makes us want to pray, right? Because then we start to see answers, and God answers prayer. We just don't see them usually. And so as we rehearse God's faithfulness, it challenges us to go deeper into the spiritual disciplines, into our spiritual walk. And so this encourages us to pray. It encourages us to worship. See, like I said, we're changing the focus from the junk of this world to the work of God. We're reorienting our mind as we come to worship. And so the first thing there, if we're going to, to prepare ourselves for worship, is start to verbalize and, and rehearse ways God has been faithful. If you, if you are home with kids, um, even husband and wife, do this on a Sunday morning. I make this part of your routine. How have we seen God work this week? I don't know. I don't think he showed up this week. Then, then let's dig deeper. Let's figure it out. And let's start to see how God is working. That will change how you come to the body. That will change how you come and worship. And so just practically, ask your family, what has God done? What has God done? We get to the rest of the chapter, the other six verses, and, and this is the idea, and what we see the psalmist doing is giving frustrations, hurts, and sin to God in prayer, and trusting him with them. So, so let her be there. Give your frustrations, your hurts, and sin to God in prayer. Trust him to act. Trust him with the outcome. The psalmist here is just so honest. This world is a fallen world. It's a Genesis 3 world. There is pain. There is struggle. We, we lose loved ones. We have people that are, are just mean around us, that lie, that say things about us. We live in a fallen world, and we ourselves struggle with that sin. And so the psalmist here now has rehearsed God's faithfulness, and now he's starting to set that aside, give that to God, so that way he can come and worship. Come and worship with the assembly. So the verses there, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. And this has to do with gossip and rumors, but it's a, it, 
It's taking one example for a broader sense of sin. And both sin that affects me and hurts me and sin that I struggle with. And I think we have to see this chapter of both of those in this fallen world. And so we, we apply this to hurt, but we also apply this to taking care of our own sin before we come and worship. And the psalmist in verse 3 asks the question, what shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? And, and his question is, okay, God, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with the crud in this world? And then he comes to the answer in verse 4. A warrior's sharp arrows, and this is referring to God's answer, a warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. And we can read this and we're like, broom tree? I, I don't have one of those. What's he talking about? And we have to understand the broom tree was a, a, a smallish tree that the, the wood from it and the roots from it were especially good for burning and they burned a long time, almost like a charcoal. And so what they would do is they would take pieces of this and they would tie it to arrows and light the arrows on fire and then you get your movie moment, right, where all the flaming arrows are coming in. And that's what they would do with this and it's saying, what's God going to do about the sin in this world? What's God going to do with the junk in this world? He's going to rain his arrows of truth on it. His fiery arrow, he's going to deal with it. And this is just a poetic way of saying, God will judge sin. Those arrows are his judgment. Those arrows of truth will deal with the deceitful tongue. And so these coals of judgment are how we know we can, we can let God handle this. I don't have to be the one that judges. I don't have to be the one that stays up all night and solves all the world's problems. I probably can't. But God can. And so part of this is the psalmist saying, I'm going to give my distractions up to God. I'm going to give my distresses up to God and leave them at his feet, and that frees me to worship the God of the universe, the God that created all things. You know, this, when you think of lying lips and deceitful tongue, there's also a very personal aspect. Maybe someone that's hurt you. Maybe, maybe someone that's said things about you and just struggles. I, I don't know, maybe you come this morning with frustrations with people. Outside of this room, in this room, who knows? And God's saying, stop it. Let go of that. That's getting in the way of worship. That's getting in the way of you seeing me and my work. And so this is just really practical to give those to God. The psalmist goes on with 5 through 7 with the same theme, but a little bit different, just the angst of living in a fallen world as strangers in a fallen world. He says, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. And, and these are places that Meshech is in the far north, uh, above Israel. Kedar is in the far east. Now, no one's living in both. They're thousands of miles apart. And it's an illustration, again, poetry is what we have in music, of saying, even if I'm far away, even if I live in Timbuktu, we used to say growing up, um, Cucamonga, and now a lot of people live in Cucamonga, so it's like, okay, that's not as far away as I thought growing up. But as far away as Timbuktu, whatever terminology we use, the psalmist is saying, that's how, how far away from Israel I feel. That's how far away from God's people I feel when I'm not with them. Because this is a fallen, messed up world. And you're going to hear that a lot in this chapter as I talk about this chapter because we can't deny that this is a fallen world. But we worship 
in, in, in living in it. We worship in spite of it. We come to God and trust him. And so he says, woe to me that I've had to be far away. It is hard to live in this screwed up world. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. He's talking about a different worldview here. Uh, living with people that call truth lies and call lies truth. They hate peace. They are about war. I am for peace, he says, but when I speak, they are for war. And this is unresolvable. Living in this world is, if we are waiting for this world to not bug us to worship, you're going to wait a long time or you're going to compromise. That's not the answer. The answer is to say, God, it's yours. I acknowledge that and I'm going to come. Now what this means is, if we're to put this into practice, as we come to worship, on, and, and again, I keep coming to Saturday night or Sunday morning, because I think actually the best worship practices start Saturday night. The best, the best way to prepare for coming together Sunday and worshiping well happens on Saturday night and then Sunday morning. But we have to start asking, okay, what's bugging me? What can I not get my mind off of? What, can I, what can't I stop thinking about? What's weighing on me? And maybe that's trials. Maybe it's sorrow. Maybe it's just frustrations. Maybe it's hurt. But to start to then intentionally say on each of those things, God, take that. Take that from me. God, deal with that. I give this to you. And to intentionally stop your mind from thinking about those things, dwelling on those things, and spiraling down. There's a lot of stuff that can happen on Sunday morning that can get you spiraling and then you come here and it doesn't matter what we preach or what we sing or what we pray because our mind is elsewhere. And that's not how God wants to help us as his people. That's not how, how he wants to show up and be with us in our trials. We're going to talk about that in the next chapter. Replace thinking about those things with meditating or ruminating, chewing the cud like a, a cow on who God is. If you find yourself thinking, I can't believe so-and-so hurt me so much, start thinking about what Jesus did on the cross. Start thinking about the grace that he extended and the forgiveness he extended, and just let your mind go on that. And that will reorient us to prepare us for worship. Ask God to work, and then stop thinking about it. And intentionally stop thinking about some of these things. You might have to not be on Facebook or Twitter on Sunday morning. I know that's like into the world stuff. I, I, I thought about that this morning. We were done with the elder prayer meeting. I was about to come in. A Twitter notification came up, and it was some political rant. And immediately, where's my mind going? To the political rant. I'm like, I'm preaching on this in a half hour. And, and so I, I put my phone down. And I'm like, we've got to be intentional to turn some things off. Don't, don't tweet on Sunday morning your political views. It's not helpful. It will distract from your worship. Be careful what you see on, on social media. Let's guard our minds because coming together and worshiping our Lord together is that important. It is more important than the tweet you're going to make that's going to change everyone's minds to your view. But to come under God's view and to praise him and worship him is everything. Now let her see there, I, I, I don't have new verses because it's sort of another thought out of that same psalm. 
is we also see as we're living in a fallen world, the psalmist is seeing how it's affecting him and seeing how it influences him. And so part of coming to church, coming to the gathering of the saints, is to confess our sins and let her see there. Confess sins and compromises to God and come right with God. Now again, if you're not right with God, come anyway. And we'll worship and we'll, we'll go through the word. If you need someone to pray with you, come and talk to me or one of the elders or one of the pastors. We'll pray with you and we'll deal with these things. But let's be right with God as we come. Let's make every effort to, do, to come clean. Now, most of you showered last night or this morning. Praise God. Spiritually shower before you come. And one of the interesting things, have you heard of a mikvah before? Uh, a mikvah is, is a, a pool of water that was ceremonially, ceremonially something that they would go down into to cleanse themselves before worship. And so this would be filled with water and you had steps and oftentimes you went in one side as unclean and you dipped down in and symbolically you were confessing your sins and giving those to God. You'd come up the other side of the stairs clean. Do you know that they have uncovered over 200 of these in Jerusalem around the temple? On the entrance to the temple? So not only did they sing these songs as they came up to the temple to prepare their hearts, when they got there, they made sure they confessed their sins before they went into worship. That's awesome. Now, I, I was thinking about all kinds of things, like could we put a mikvah out there and have everyone get in it this morning? Um, the baptistry, maybe. Um, then I was thinking of a bowl of water that we all wash our hands as we come in, and then, then I was thinking COVID. And um, so just picture it. The idea, though, is to, to, before you step foot on the campus here, to say, God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the path of understanding. To start to deal with every attempt we can to be right with God. Now again, if, if you're struggling with that, come anyway. And we as a family will we'll do that together. We'll, we'll help you with that. Come and reach out to brothers and sisters in Christ. But come clean. Confessing our sins. That might mean Sunday morning when you wake up, just while the house is quiet, when no one's up, just you and God as you're praying to say, God, reveal to me anything that's getting in the way of worship today. Reveal to me anything I haven't dealt with this week. And then we start to get into a rhythm where we are, are continually confessing our sins and being right with God, and it becomes transformative in our lives. We become more like him. But just even out of this psalm, we see three simple things that we know, but, but to incorporate them in our routine before we come and worship. Remember the times God has been faithful and rehearse those. Take whatever is frustrating us and bugging us and intentionally give that to God and ask his help with that and, and take our thoughts captive. And then finally, make sure we've confessed any sins, confessed any compromises that have happened as we live in this broken world. And come right with God. See, the thing is, because of God's grace, sending his son to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for those sins, to pour out his forgiveness on us through his love for us, 
God's not going to come and say, oh, you shouldn't be here because of your sin. He's going to hold out his arms and say, welcome, my son, welcome, my daughter. Thank you for dealing with this and being right with me. And that's the attitude we need to have as a church, too, that kind of grace, that kind of extending that to each other and helping each other live this Christian life and be right with God. So then we move on to Psalm 121. Psalm 121, and we have eight verses in Psalm 121. And whereas Psalm 120 was about dealing with the distractions and the influence of this world and putting that aside, this is about self-sufficiency, self-reliance. And so point number two, we need to crush self-reliance by remembering and expressing dependence on God. This is one of those psalms that, as, as I studied it, I'm like, okay, I, I sort of see it, but is this really preparatory for worship? Shouldn't I do this anytime? And, and we should, but the, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that our self-sufficiency is directly tied to how much we are able to trust God and, and, and view Him as sufficient for us. If I'm self-sufficient, then I have a deep idol of self. self. Then I'm, I'm looking to self to solve problems. I'm looking to myself for, for the things that I need. But when I start to cultivate dependence on God, I'm crushing that idol and, and I'm worshiping God. And, and really when we think of idolatry, and we studied this, we're dealing with what do we worship. And so self-sufficiency is a direct attack on worshiping God. Self-centeredness, self-reliance is a direct affront to God who says rely on me and depend on me for every breath. In the end, you and I can't help ourselves. This isn't going to be a message of self-help saying if you do these three things, you're going to be a good person. No, this is a message of saying if we do these things, we're going to orient ourselves to trust God because he makes us righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we come to 121, and it's about this self-reliance. And, and self-reliance, like I said, worships the wrong thing. It worships the wrong thing. And so throughout this chapter, we see that God is the one who watches over us. God is the one who guards us. God is the one who keeps us. And some of you have ESV, some of you have New American Standard. The word that, that is used throughout almost this entire psalm is sometimes translated all of those things. So sometimes it's translated protect, guard, keep, watches over us. All the same word, because that's the theme of this song, is God is the one that provides for that. God is the one that protects. Now this also, I think, would be really powerful. As you go up through those mountains, there, which we don't have this, you saw, um, it's rough terrain. And there are sometimes... Um, Bandits. There are sometimes other things that can, can destroy and to get, that can interfere. And so as they're going through this rough land, they're reminding themselves that God is the one that keeps them. God is the one that guards them. As we go through this rough world, God is the one who keeps us. Depend on him, not on self. And so this, this psalm is, is broken up into four two-verse stanzas. And if you think of every two verses as a different stanza, it helps us sort of break it down. And the first stanza, verse 1 and 2, talks about cultivate dependence on God by asking for help in every situation. Because you need it. 
Cultivate dependence on God by asking for help in every situation. The very word, I need help, implies what? I need help. I can't do this, right? And so this at its core is a statement of dependence on God. I need help. Peter, as he's, he's going under the water, didn't say, I can do this. He said, save me, help me. And one of the shortest and, and most powerful prayers is to go to God and say, help. Help me. I believe, but help my unbelief. And it's all dependence on God. And so we come to verse 1, and the psalmist words it this way. I lift, my eyes, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, or Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. And again, think of those pictures I showed. Where are they going to Jerusalem? What are they going up to? A hill, right? They're going up to the mountains. And so they're, they're coming along. And I picture moms and dads started teaching their kids with this too. And, and they're, they're starting to, to come towards, the, the, towards Jerusalem. They're looking up at where the temple would be. And they sing, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? And it's a proclamation that my help comes from God. My help, we're going there. We're going to God's people. We're going to worship him. We're going to, to see his presence. This is where help comes from. And so verse 1 is the question. Verse 2 is the answer. My help comes from Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. And so the weary travelers are finally coming to the temple, and they're using that in preparation to say, I need God. I need help. And it comes from God. It doesn't come from the other people in my traveling party. It doesn't come from I have a really good sharp stick as I go through these, these hill countries. It comes from the Lord. And I'm going to lift my eyes to him. I'm going to seek help from someone other than myself. And, and part of this, encapsulated as this, is I have to acknowledge that I have limited resources. I have limited ability. And so this means coming to worship with humility and verbalizing our dependence on God. Uh, again, so many of these things we know, but I'm encouraging you today to develop a rhythm where we actually say these things, where we actually acknowledge them. That on Sunday morning on your way here, maybe you say, you know what? What do we need God for this week? What do we need God to do? What, how do we need his help? And you start to, again, orient ourselves to dependence on God, not on self. Because we aren't as capable. You know, one of the things we do on the way here is we talk through our ministries. We did that this morning. And a question I've always asked our kids is, well, who do you think God wants you to minister to today? And when they were five, the answer was very different than now. They're like, how do you know what that means, Dad? And so we talk about it, and like, well, maybe there's a friend in your Sunday school class that is lonely or something. And, 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 and now they're all involved in ministries, but it's coming and saying, okay, God, you show me what you want me to do today. Oftentimes my prayer is, God, show me who you need me to talk to today. Show me who needs to be encouraged. And that's practicing dependence on God. For all of our teachers, my prayer for you every week is may the Holy Spirit give you the words to say and you not just read what you, what you think you should say. May, may there be dependence on the Holy Spirit to move and to act. 
And what, what wonderful descriptions in verse 2 there. My help comes from Yahweh who made heaven and earth. And, and, and we don't always see this, but there's a combination of the personal aspect of God and the power of God here. When, when it says, my help comes from the Lord, and remember when it's in all caps, that's God's personal name, his covenant name that he gave to the people he loved and called out, Yahweh. And, and so when we see my help comes from Yahweh, it's referring to this God of covenant love who is for us no matter what. And so it's a very personal word. It, it's like you can call me, sometimes my, my kids will call me pastor or, um, or Ron. And I'm like, I don't know who you're talking about. There are three people in this world that get to call me dad. And, and, and call me dad. So then we do pastor dad sometimes. Um, But pastor is very different from dad. And when we see Yahweh, that's God saying, this is my personal name, call me by this, because I love you, and I'm here for you. And so this verse says, my help comes from Yahweh, the God who is near, the God who helps, the God who loves me, and then who made heaven and earth. By the way, he created everything out of nothing, and he can do anything, and so so this is a statement of dependence on the one who actually can do something about it. And, and so this gives us a confidence as we come to worship. This orients, orients our mind to reliance on God before we step in these doors. And that will change the songs for you. That will change the word for you. That will change how we pray if we bother to prepare. And so come thinking on God's power, thinking of his lordship, he made everything out of nothing. I can't even make coffee. Who am I going to trust? I'm going to trust God. Then he goes on, and, and the next six verses talk about a confidence in God. So let her be there as remind each other of our confidence that God will be with us and help in every situation at all times. I know that's sort of a mouthful, but remind each other of our confidence that God will be with us and help us in every situation at all times. And so we do this as a family. We remind each other that God is helping. As we come together, we should be reminding each other of this. And, and what's interesting, and where I get the remind each other portion of, verse 1 and 2 is, is in one tense. It's all my help. I do this. And verses 3 through 8 changes tense. And it looks as if the community is now singing back to the psalmist, and sort of an antiphonal response, you know, sometimes we do that, one side sings one thing and the other side sings the other. That's what's happening here. And so the, the first person says, where can I get help? I get it from the Lord. And then the next six verses are the community answering and saying, yeah, this is how God's going to help you. Isn't that cool? This is what coming to get, why it's so important to come together is because we challenge each other and we remind each other of, that we can trust God, that he's got this. And so we come to verses 3 and 4, and we're reminded that God won't be caught sleeping. He'll keep us from slipping. He'll keep us from falling at all hours of the night if we look to him. Verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. It's the idea of slipping, a firm foundation, which we understand the importance of in Southern California. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Village, we have a solid foundation in Yahweh. We have a solid foundation in God, so why not rely on him rather than self? 
Verse 4, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And so we have two things that talk that God is always with us. Even when we're asleep, every moment of every day, God is on, on duty, so to speak. And he's there keeping us from slipping. These two verses have to make us think of Elijah and Mount Carmel, right? As, as, as he's um, fighting the prophets of Baal, and he says, Ah, oh, is your God asleep? Oh, maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's taking a little nappy nap. You know, I don't know. And, and um, our God doesn't ever do that. And he's with us no matter what, whatever situation. And the community is reminding the psalmist of this. No, God's awake and he won't let you slip. And then in 5 and 6, the community reminds of God's protection. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. And especially in desert communities, the sun can be brutally hot. And just an hour or two can, can give you heat stroke. And, and God is our shade. He, it's a protection here that the psalmist was referring to. That God will keep us. And then the last two verses, the community is reminding the, the psalmist that God will always be with you and keep evil from overpowering you. The Lord will keep you from all evil in verse 7. He will keep your life. And we have to take those two phrases together because it's not saying that there's never going to be any trials. Everyone here had a week where there were things that would prove that wrong. There's trials in this life. And that's not what this verse is saying. But it's saying that the trials, the evil won't win. That ultimately it won't win. So the Lord will keep you from all evil. That's further defined by he will keep your life. We know how it ends. We know where our salvation lies. We know that evil does not win. And so we can have confidence to, to rely on God rather than self. Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He will always understand what we're doing, the activities we're doing, and he will always be there to protect He's not promising a cushioned life here, but he's promising a well-armed life. And that gives us a description of how God helps us fight evil. See, true worship affects every area of life. And our final help, the ultimate help, came on the cross through Jesus Christ. When he defeated sin, and then three days later, when he defeated death, and there is no other evil that can have control over us if we follow God and if we worship him. Two chapters. One that talks about setting aside the distractions of the world and the influence of the world. The other that says fight self-reliance and come depending on God. And that's just two of the ways that we prepare ourselves. But again, think in terms of how are you going to do this? How are you going to, to take this and turn it from some notes that you forget about in 30 minutes to saying, I'm going to incorporate this in the rhythm of my preparation for worship so I come ready to be God's people? And, and there are all kinds of different ways this can, this can look like. For our family, we have some things we try, and again, we don't do this perfectly, and there's some weeks that everything just blows up and none of it happens. And there's some weeks where we do pretty well at it, but we try to be intentional of preparing ourselves for worship. And, and that starts with Saturday night of getting to bed at a decent time for us. And, and now that my kids are a little older, like, oh, come on, Dad. 
I'm like, come on, it's worship. We're getting ready for church. And so we try to get to bed at a decent time, and that way we can be ready to, to stay awake during the long sermon. <laughs> I don't even want to know what it said. Um, even though it's not a school night, this is more important than school. Um, when we get up, we try to get up in time to, get to, to be at church early. That way we're not rushing in halfway through worship or we're not rushing in because you know how families work when you're rushing. There's all kinds of distractions when you're rushing. There's all kinds of words you wish you could take back when you're rushing. And so get up a little earlier and, and, and end that distraction. This is part of preparing ourselves for worship. And so we try to get, get up at a decent time to see this as the holy gathering of Jesus' body, of his family. On Sunday morning, more so, and we probably should do this more often, but we try to minimize arguments. And there's some discussions that we're like, let's just postpone that. Let's set that aside. This morning isn't the, the time to do that. We want to start focusing on God. On the way here, one of our rhythms, and, and it, this has been since the kids were, were infants, is we either listen to worship music on the way here or, or in silence preparing ourselves to come. Usually it's, it's music now. Silence doesn't really work, really work for us anymore. That, was, that worked when they were little. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, since we have an app that has all the music, I actually play the songs we're going to sing this morning. And, and we listen to those on the way here as a way of just starting to orient our minds to what God is doing. Uh, I've already mentioned, we asked the question, are you ready to minister today? Who does God want you to minister today? To try to orient our minds to be looking to, to worship God with our actions. As an elder board, then we pray at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning. We pray for all the ministries that happen. We pray that God's word will, will go forth powerfully. We pray that the Holy Spirit will work. And these are just some of the rhythms that, that we do to try to prepare ourselves. Again, I'm with you. I'm not perfect on this. But will you try some of them with me? Can we start to take worship as more than Sunday morning, 9.30 to 11-ish? And can we see it as something that God wants us to, to view as important? That's my heart for this passage. I challenge you, read through Psalm 120 to 134 this week. These, they're all the psalms of ascents, the preparatory psalms to come and worship. And let's see what God does. Oh, Lord God, we acknowledge you're the creator of heaven and earth. And so, Lord, we need you. We depend on you. We come to worship you because you are God and we are not. And we bow to you, acknowledging that need. Lord, strip away any self-reliance and self-centeredness that's in our hearts this morning. Strip that away and replace it with the joy of depending on you. Lord, I pray that you would also help us to, to just strip away the trials of this world right now. And just enjoy you, knowing that you've got that. And your justice will prevail. Your righteousness will prevail, Lord, and we can trust you. Lord, help us to be a people of worship that are ready to worship, that love worshiping you, God, in everything we do. In your precious name.